What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua, and welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglin on the Live Mana Network. Thank you so much for being here. I uh, this way. <laughs> you can scan that barcode right there and find links to our Google News site. Uh, you can find our network. You can find information to the information for the Live Mana Worldwide Foundation, our nonprofit media organization. And, uh, and just you can find our book and everything else that we're up to just in one convenient scan of the barcode. And no, I have to say this again, I'm not trying to usher in the mark of the beast. Anyway, uh, so many amazing people that come and watch these broadcasts, people from all walks of life, people from all faith backgrounds, uh, different genders and different uh, sexualities and different religions and different people from all over the world. It is one of my favorite things um, about a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund is getting to have conversations, again, with people from all walks of life. And today is something I'm actually really excited about because it's the very first time in my life that I've spoken to a rabbi. Um, and But here's the cool part. Well, actually being a rabbi, I would imagine, is pretty cool. But this rabbi wants to tear down and destroy some of the mental, I don't like to call it mental health issues. I like to call it mental uniqueness as my own mental uniqueness is what it is. And I thank God for it because at this perceived weakness that it was, I've noticed that it's become a strength. Even in my weakness, my mental uniqueness has become a strength. And, 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 and our, this gentleman that's here today um, is, is doing something very similar. He's doing that with his platform and he's speaking about bipolar disorder. Um, something I was diagnosed with at one time, uh, which I ended up having DID, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I am really, really honored. And we got to speak just briefly uh, before we went on the air. And I, I just I just love the guy's spirit. And I think that you're going to really enjoy this conversation. I love humble. Um, I love genuine people that are genuine. I love uh, but. One of the things that I love most about people is when they radiate joy, uh, it makes it really, really hard not to love them. So uh, the rabbi uh, today, he he has, he has radiates joy. Ra rabbi Alfredo Borodowski, I think I said it right. Anyway, you guys are in for a treat today. Um, this is going to be really special. We do such a wide variety of broadcasts. Um, this is not going to be as crazy as some of the other ones. But it's going to be powerful. It's going to be authentic. It's going to be real. And I think you will be blessed for being here. So thank you for being here. We'll be right back after this. Yeah. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Rabbi Alfredo Borodowski to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund. That's me. Hello, Rabbi. Hi, Joshua. I tell you something. Your last name for me is as difficult as my last my, my last name is for you. Then, then, then we are even here, by the way. <laughs> Uh, Rabbi, I'm so blessed to have you here. Thank you so much. Um, before we get started, what are you grateful for today and why? No, I tell you, I, I woke up today and I knew that I was going to meet you. Uh, I had done my research about Live Mana Network. And, uh, you know, I am very lonely in, in many ways. Part of my work is to think and to create and to write. And I spent a lot of hours within myself. And to break that dynamics, to have an honest conversation. In a society where honest conversations are not really so frequent, because we are all a little bit fearful and hiding. Mm. And to have the opportunity to come as I do now to your show and be myself and, and share without really hesitations and, and feel that I, that I am protected by, by your style and by what your show is. I woke up this morning and basically I put my timer to be, to, to be in your presence now. <laughs> okay, wasn't expecting that. Um, thank you for under getting what we do. Um, that means I, I, that means more to me than you can possibly know, because I would say the majority don't get what we're trying to do, and um, you, you nailed it on the head. So thank you for that very much wow <laughs> okay so um I, I let's get to it um i want to i want to address this and then i after that i want to say this and then i you know feel free just to say whatever you feel led to say but i admire you a great deal because speaking of mental uniqueness uh, in a position of authority, especially religious, spiritual authority, um, as yourself, to open up and talk about mental uniqueness or bipolar disorder or, you know, whatever you want to label it. I honor you and have a lot of respect for you for doing that because it's not easy because there is a serious label attached to people with mental health issues. And, uh, I would imagine that by putting yourself out there, it's caused some people to question your authority. And in my eyes, you have 10 times more authority because you're honest. And God bless you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I went through a journey. Uh, I had no options, Joshua. My condition was shown to society without my permission. I did happen the morning of June 19th, 2010. I was driving through the town of Amaronek in Westchester, New York, and I felt inside of my car lights, blue and red lights. And I look back and I saw a police patrol right after me, behind me, they stopped me. And the, the officer came running towards my car. And another officer joined him. And I was surrounded, surrounded by policemen. And what I had done, Josh, is that just a few minutes before that, I had shown a police badge that a congregant of mine had given me, you know, one of those courtesy badges. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And for the last months before that, those police cars stopped me for a full month, I had impersonated a police officer on the highways of New York. <laughs> I was directing traffic. <laughs> I was telling you how to drive. I was telling you how to text. Now, I didn't, I didn't stop anybody. I didn't touch anybody. I didn't arrest anybody. Okay, then I wasn't, I was not violent. But on the eyes of the law, I impersonated a police officer. That resulted, that resulted in four separate cases in four courts about impersonating police officer. Wow. Josh, this is what happened to me in the lapse of two weeks. Listen to this. Okay. I was arrested in four different places. <laughs> I was hospitalized in a, on a psychiatric ward. I was diagnosed bipolar that I didn't know. I was fired from my job oh. as executive director of a very good foundation and the press anointed me or the press baptized the rabbi as the road rage rabbi you're the road rage rabbi um yeah i am do you know that <laughs> it is a pleasure to meet you sir then then for <laughs> not knowing that i will arrest you <laughs> then, Listen, then, behold, then before you go in i I honestly allow the spirit to say yes or no of who I have on this broadcast. And I, I read one sentence about you and knew that God wanted us to talk. So I stopped. I didn't look into you. I just wanted to have an organic conversation with you. I didn't know I knew who you were, though. I disclosed that, by the way, when I sent you, uh, when, I, when I proposed myself to your show, I wrote that I am the, the road. I, wrote, I I say that because now to say, you know I say this to your audience is a selling point. Yeah. Because because the road road rage rabbi was famous in Japan, was famous in Ireland. What did I do, by the way? I just show a legitimate, a legitimate shield and told people drive slowly. But because I was a rabbi, that became a circus. God. It was a rabbi-driven story and i lost basically everything oh. that i had built in a lapse of two weeks and i became from rabbi alfredo i became the road rage rabbi and my life in the last 10 years is to acquire a new name which is the bipolar rabbi which is what now the bipolar rabbi ah then you see the journey of the rabbinate, Rabbi Alfredo, Roach, Rage, Rabbi, Bipolar Rabbi, in which I assume full responsibility for my actions. I was able to overcome adversity. Amen. And I was able to transform my journey into a banner for those who struggle with mental illness and don't have a spiritual voice. I, I like you said at the beginning of the, of, of, of the broadcast, I don't wish upon myself my illness. And I call it illness, but I, you know, which is unique, brings mm -hmm. uniqueness. I, I don't wish it upon myself. I don't welcome it. <clears throat> But my job as a rabbi, as a human being, is to make meaning out of it. Yes. Not to cry, although I cry too. Not to lament, although I lament too. But at the end of this process of lamentation, I felt the responsibility to say, you can be a rabbi and a leader. Yes, you can. And you are. And I, I want to say something, Rabbi. Um, you had me laughing. No, I wasn't laughing at you necessarily. It, it's that I have had those experiences where, you know, if I disassociate and 
I switched to one of the altars and, and, and the Lord has healed my DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder. Um, where now if I do have a switch, it's minor and it's nothing like it was, but for the most part, it's gone. And, um, I've just done some very silly things. You know, I've done, I did a lot of evil things too, but I did so many silly things also from disassociating and ending up in places that I'm like, wait a second, I don't remember driving here and, or ending up in the kitchen and my underwear that I don't remember getting down there. You know I mean? Just, there's all of these stories that happen around people with mental uniqueness. So my laughter is just relation. So I, I please, please understand. I mean, no, no disrespect to you or anyone with any mental uniqueness. As I said, I share this with you. So I, um, you know, sometimes it helps to laugh at some of the stupid stuff that we do. <laughs> I mean, you have to think that God is laughing at us sometimes, right? Yes. I mean, look, Laughter is one of the most healing things we have. Uh, I also laugh. It, it sometimes look back and laugh. I, you know, I, I want to mention that as the, my world collapsed and certainly my family gave me unconditional love, what sustained wow. me, sustained me is my congregation. Is your creation? Congregation. Oh, your congregation. Okay. My congregation never left me. Wow. They could have they could have fired me. They could have said this person does not deserve to be a spiritual leader. Sure. It's a crook and a and a criminal. They with they stood by me the entire journey. Uh, and I you know, I stayed until recently when I retired from congregation for over 10 years, leading the congregation while I was an open bipolar individual. And you know what they did? They learned my weaknesses as much as my strengths. Mm. And they had infinite love and patience. They kept me accountable because accountability is part of healing. Hmm. But within that accountability was compassion. There is a compassionate accountability. Hmm. And, and I think that I became a much better rabbi. I think that my sermons were better, were more profound, were more connected to the human condition once I went through my struggle. What a powerful message to all faith leaders, regardless of the religion. This is a problem, as you as you probably have guessed by now. I'm a follower of Jesus, um, but I'm also loving and accepting of other people's beliefs because this is my own personal journey. I, I'm staying. I what you who you worship. I, that that's not you know what I mean for other people, but I will tell you in the Christian community, uh, in the church. One of the the troubles that I see that bothers me, and it turned me away from religion for a long time, but now I recognize we're just people. But you know, the church preachers are very have a really hard time talking about their real struggles, and and talking about it in a way that people can relate. Because it's one thing to say I'm a sinner, or I struggle with depression, or I struggle with this or that, or I struggle with lust. You know, we've become desensitized to these words now. I mean, we can hear about molestation and rape and it doesn't, or abuse, and it doesn't have the impact. But when someone's willing to be vulnerable and, and share openly and allow people in, they get to feel what it's like. And I believe if we feel pain or we feel the remorse or we feel whatever emotion it is, that is how we get to a place where we can make that decision. Okay, now I'm going to live this way. And so by you being vulnerable, you're opening up leaders from all faiths to do the same thing. And that is what a leader to me does. So I appreciate that. I want to ask you something because one of the stigmas, especially in the, the faith community, is that mental health issues are demonic. Like people say that my DID 
is demons. And at, at one time it was demons, I guarantee you. Um, but it hasn't always been demonic and it, and it isn't now. And what bipolar disorder is looked at as demonic. Can you speak to whether the, the people watching are part of your congregation, other faith leaders and people from all different religious backgrounds, can you speak to them from your professional, like where you are as a professional, speak to them about the demonic and mental health issues? I, I must say also for, as I answer the question for your audience, that I have a doctorate in theology. I have a PhD in theology. Wow. And I, I am a, a social worker that specializes on therapy. Then uh, I have some professional background that can lead my answer. But I will answer to you from the Jewish perspective, which is... Please. That's my specialty. In the Jewish tradition, differently from the Christian or some kinds of Christianity, there is no evil parallel force to God. There is not a devil in Judaism. There is only God. Okay? Good and evil derive from one source. That creates all kinds of issues about how to explain evil. Okay? Sure. Which are very complex. But there is no struggle between two beings or a god and an angel that is good and evil. That struggle, that dichotomy does not exist in Judaism. There is only God. There are some angels, one of them called Satan, which is just one angel like Michael or Gabriel, whose job is to be a prosecutor of humanity then Satan comes to God with bad word about what human beings do and are. And we see this very clearly in the book of Job. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, but, but in, in Judaism has a very poor folklore tradition about demons. Although in some mystical traditions like the Kabbalah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is, is now popular. In the Kabbalistic world, there are a more developed demonic family. Uh, and there are exorcisms in the Kabbalah. They are not mainstream in Judaism. Okay, they're not mainstream. We, we do not go through, we are more scientific in that way. We, we, we I, you know, I don't, I don't know of any possession of anybody ever, you know, that I heard in the Jewish community or rabbis in the mainstream Jewish community who are exorcists. And I haven't given in 30 years of preaching any sermon in which I refer to a demon. Then, then going to mental illness, there is in Judaism, I think, a more direct line between mental illness and either biological explanations or biological explanations that have an impact in the spiritual life. Huh. In other words, they are not illnesses of the spirit. They are illnesses of the mind, if there is a mind, or the brain. If you want to be more accurate, there are illnesses of the brain upon which spirituality can have a very positive impact and spirituality can be affected by. But uh, I can imagine that any rabbi I know would go into any kind of demonic language or anything like that. Interesting. So, <clears throat> I, I, uh, I, I, want, I don't want to be offensive. I'm not a big fan of the Catholic Church. Uh, let me just, the origins of it, uh, the control that they've had on the people, there, there's a lot of issues that I have with that. And, and I believe with all my heart that they have manipulated the Bible remove parts, remove books. Like I believe that one Enoch belongs in the Bible. Um, 
I, I, I have, I have some issue, but that said, I love the Bible and I read it every day. It's the best book ever written to me. But let me ask you this, because basically what you've just said, and I guess this makes sense with you being Jewish, is that what's talked about in the New Testament is folklore, is essentially what you're saying. Is that correct? Well, look, my own theology, without bo you know getting boring about it, is that all the sacred, all the sacred scriptures, all the sacred scriptures, are human recordings of a divine experience. Human recording of a, it's like a sacred diary. Mm -hmm. Okay, sacred diaries are not the experience in themselves. Sacred diaries are, in some way, an expression of it. Then. Then I look at the Bible as a source of wisdom mm -hmm. that the Israelites experienced, taught, and later expanded and interpreted to create a meaningful life. I wouldn't tell you, by the way, that this is the position of all Jews, because there are Jewish people who believe that the Bible was revealed word by word uh, by God to Moses in Sinai, and that an accepted position within Judaism is not the way I follow. Okay, I follow more a position of the Bible is a divine document because people have consecrated itself. And I am in a debate with the Bible. I am expanding the Bible. For me, there are two sources of wisdom, Joshua. One source of wisdom is the text, the sacred text. But the other source of wisdom is the life we live. I, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, and there must be an encounter, an encounter where those two dimensions interact with each other on actually a equal, fair field. If you look at the rabbis, the ancient rabbis, they are very tough on mental illness. Okay? They, they did not have the tools at that point in history to understand how the brain works. Then they were very judgmental. Mm. Now, I'm not going to throw the rabbinic tradition to the garbage. <laughs> Okay, they are my masters, but I will honestly situate them historically and make an assessment of what they could and could not do according to their circumstances and draw wisdom when wisdom is there, interpret them to make them relevant and sometimes reject them when they lost it. Huh. So let me ask, who is the, is there a Holy Spirit to Jewish people? Well, a lot has to do with language, Joshua. Okay. And the term, Holy, the term Holy Spirit exists in Hebrew. It's a key term. Uh, it's in Hebrew, Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. But it's not a mainstream concept. Huh. Again, in 30 years of rabbinate, I had not given any sermon where I used the term Holy Spirit. <laughs> then, then you will you then then for example, you go to the issue of mental illness itself, our core issue. I don't believe that people are possessed by some kind of spirit, holy or unholy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 It's not. It's not. The, the, it's not the language we use in Judaism. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a religion which, in some way, more rationalistic than Christianity. I think that we are a more intellectualized religion. We have favor learning as a main form of actually worship. Jews worship through study. It's very 
dear to us. In the Middle Ages, the Jewish children in Europe were the only ones who knew how to read because it was part of our mitzvah and our commandments for a child to be taught to read clearly Hebrew and the scriptures uh, from an early age. And that was a sacred duty. Uh, and it's not a coincidence among many reasons that Jewish people excel so much in the academics. Sure. This comes from an old tradition of the sacredness of studying. Uh, the, the flip side of that, that we are a little bit more rationalistic and rational than I would say Christianity. Christianity is more conceptually on the mysterious mm -hmm. than, than, than we are. That, I mean, from everything, my I have two sisters um, from my dad's previous marriage and their mother was Jewish. And I got a I got a little bit of understanding, you know, about the belief system then, but not really in depth. So, like, I I'm, I appreciate you answering these questions, and if they're trivial, forgive me. I, it's just my own curiosity, and and frankly, I don't know how many people actually really know um, these things that you're saying. Uh, and from my experience, also, even with my Jewish friends, you're right that study and education is emphasized greatly, more so than any culture that I'm aware of. Uh, and, and the study and the devotion to prayer and to studying the Bible is unlike anything that I've seen. I mean, and I got to be honest, even the Muslim faith, I learned more about prayer from a Muslim woman than I did from what mostly in the church. And I, I'm not, I'm again, I'm a follower of Jesus. So I'm just stating these, these facts. And this is why I love to have these conversations. But I, and it's, it's also no wonder that if you look at the head of every major corporation in the entire world, the very heads of them are Jewish. There's well, something be, that, be, right? be, be careful there. Let me, let me tell be you careful. a couple of things. First I'm not all, trying to be offensive, I promise. No, I'm no, just... no, but let me, let me be cautious about that. Look, first of all, I want to echo that I am in complete admiration about how the Muslims pray. Mm. Okay, I hope, that, I hope that all the other religions would have the commitment and the devotion that Muslims have. Look, the Jews have done well. You have to do well when everybody else is trying to kill you, yes? Yes, absolutely. Okay. No you have to be learned when overnight they kick you out of your house and your country and the only thing you can take with you is yourself. Yeah. Then your knowledge is your most precious commodity. Absolutely. Okay. That then the, all that said, we are doing well. But if you look at the map of powerful people, of media people, we are well represented. But yes. we are not the movers, and but we are not by any means the movers and shakers. Okay, the, okay, we are a minority. We are maybe today 16 million Jews in the entire world. That's all. That's it. That's wow. it. Okay, maybe I am, I am, you know maybe 16 but not 25 okay sure. we lost we lost six million jews in the holocaust of which one million and a half were children joshua one oh. million and a half children were killed the future then then i am very proud about what the jewish people have accomplished it had been done with hard work and commitment but um in the map of the world, we are a grain of salt uh, of an enormity of people who do good work and hold key positions. Uh, and, 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 and I see many countries that other minorities, by the way, are doing well here in the United States. Uh, you see in elections to Congress and you know that, that you are going to see more diversity and, and then, then then I'm personally happy that, that there is mobility in this country. 
not all we want, by the way. Be believe me, I, I am in interfaith groups. I, I am a member of the Westchester Mental Health Interreligious Interfaith Group. I am very active. Then I speak with pastors all the time. And we work together, uh, black churches. Then I know of the struggle, but uh, there is at least the possibility, the possibility always of mobility and fairness, uh, which in many places there is no possibility even. Mm -hmm. Then that I would say to you, Jews have must, we are proud of what we have accomplished, but we are fearful of myth, anti-Semitic myth, mythology myth. Yeah, yeah, myth okay. about, about, about more, than, more than who we really are uh, in, the, in the enormous, enormous map of people who are involved in all kinds of positions of decision-making. Mm -hmm. I yeah, and uh, please understand. I meant no disrespect by my comment. No, 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 it was I, an I, observation. I, you gave me you gave me an opportunity actually. Yeah, well, I, I I'm glad that you under you took it that way because that's my intent. Because these are the I mean, honestly, I don't know how many people have these same questions. Um, because there's a lot that we don't understand. Like one of the things that I've seen float around social media from the Jewish community, and please please correct me or inform me if I'm wrong or, or correct, but with the ruling of the Roe versus Wade, some people say in the Jewish religion that they are okay with abortion. Is that true? Look, one of the things about Judaism, if you look at Judaism, Judaism's main book, the book by which our a religion has been shaped is called the Talmud. Okay. The, the, Next. Okay. The, thank you. The Talmud is the interpretation of the rabbis of the scriptures. It's a very long, many volumes. I mean, it would take you many life, life, lives to read it and understand it. Something about the Talmud that is unique to it is the dialogue. They're all dialogues. There are all conversations among the rabbis, discussions among the rabbis. By the way, many of the discussions don't have a conclusion. The value is the discussion in itself. Interesting. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, we have what is called Jewish law, halacha, which is the law that by which a Jewish person lives. Like which food can you eat, which food you cannot eat, what you can do on the Sabbath, what you cannot do on the Sabbath. But the law is based on this dialogue called the Talmud. In other words, there is no dogma in Judaism. Huh. It's a religion without dogma. Dogma. I would say that of the Western religions. Judaism may be more, the most flexible one. <laughs> we don't have a central authority. We don't have a chief rabbinate of the Jews. We don't have a rabbi of the Jews. We don't have a pope of the Jews. There is no one rabbi that can claim is the rabbi of the Jews. We are one of the most decentralized and democratic structures of faith existing today. There are many advantages to that, Josh. Creativity, democracy. You can keep the religion evolving, but also you're going to see different interpretations of Judaism living side by side at the same time. Huh. Then I would see somebody tells you, somebody tell you this is what Judaism believes. Run away. <laughs> Fair enough. You know you what? Have ask, you have to ask, these are the Orthodox Jews, these are the conservative Jews, these are the Reformed Jews, these are the Jews in Israel, these are the Jews in Arab countries, these are the Jews in Brooklyn, okay? These are the Jews in Buenos Aires, where I'm from, okay? There is 
a shared destiny by the Jewish people. We share a history, we share the scriptures, we share the love for the land of Israel, we share the Holocaust, we share a tradition. There is a glue that makes us a people that have the consciousness of belonging to each other. But this people is one of the most inner divided in the good way in terms of interpretations. So in other words, you don't have different belief systems within the Judaism that argue over scripture, they ridicule and they no, judge. We, and We do have, we have too many. Oh, okay. Because we don't, we don't have a policing agency. We don't have a Pope. We don't have a, 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 any figure in Judaism, which is the one who determines Judaism. It's more of a dialogue. It's more of parallel structures. It's more of fluidity of opinions. Clearly, there are certain things. We know that there is a Sabbath. We know that there are dietary laws. But there are some Jews who follow the dietary laws and some Jews who do not follow the dietary laws. Okay? Then don't look in Judaism for a ruling, a ruling for all the Jews. Then when it comes to the case of ab abortion, there are certain there's there are certain things I can tell you. I can tell you that the, for my, I can tell you that for Judaism in general, without talking for all the Jews, in mm -hmm. general, the life of the mother takes precedent over the, the life of the fetus. Okay, then I would tell you that I could comfortably tell you that from most religious quarters and that from Jewish tradition in a holistic way, knowing that, that some Jews may not agree with me, but if somebody were to tell me, can you make a claim? I would say that claim clearly that in Judaism preponder preponderantly, the, 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 the life of the mother who is an actual living entity in the world, in case that the life of the mother is threatened the life of the mother takes precedent over the life of the fetus. Okay, I would say that this is something I feel comfortable, mm -hmm. okay, speaking my voice Jewishly. Um, then, then, then um, you know, that's, 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 where I, that's what I could tell you in, in uh, to, to that difficult question. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly there are other issues here, which is the issue of, there, there are issues of what Judaism believes, and there is an issue of how a country decides to go one way or another, vis-a-vis -vis the will of people. Mm. Okay, and and, 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 and and that's an issue when, an issue of representation, when institutions represent or not the will of the people. Um, but that's not a religious question. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a political question, and it's a question for the, for the, American, the American society. I don't, think, I don't think for religious leaders particularly. What does forgiveness look like in Judaism? Awesome. Okay. <laughs> we we thank you for th thank you, my word, Josh, for taking me into into, into to another topic. Okay. Look, forgiveness is central to Judaism. Uh, remember, we have Yom Kippur, which is the most maybe the, the best known. Uh, it's not a holiday. It's you know it's more like a day of reflection, in which it's all about forgiveness. We call it in Hebrew tshuva, 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 which tshuva, which more than forgiveness is return. Forgiveness is a form of return. It's not something that somebody else gives you. It's something that you gain through the process of growth you make. Then forgiveness is not a gift. Forgiveness has to be earned. In Judaism, and it's earned through a very, very clear process. Forgiveness begins with confession. 
the person must make a confession of the sins. Then it must be reparation, in which you try to fix the evil or the wrong done. And forgiveness or tshuva is never finished, never finished until you are confronted by the same opportunity to do wrong and you resist it. Wow. The final, the final is very, we're very tough. We are very tough on this, but I like, I love it. I love this toughness. It's very real. It's now, if the, per, if the person does not, if you ask forgiveness from a person and the person does not give you forgiveness three times, deny forgiveness, then you are forgiven. Because the other person cannot keep you hostage for life, for what you've done. There is a statue of limitations. <laughs> I love it. But, uh, but we are very down to earth. I tell you, we are very rational in some ways. We, we look at human behavior. It must be a behavioral change, a change of heart and a change of behavior. Change of heart for Judaism is not enough. It's not enough. We demand more. All right, I have another curveball for you. How did how do how do you deal with uh, what's the word shame, guilt, and shame? How is that dealt with in Judaism? I think that, by the way, I am coming up with a book. Let me just say that uh, on the it's called the unexpected unexpected wisdom of exceptional minds. Unexpected Ooh. Wisdom of, of Exceptional Minds is a book about mental illness and the wisdom and uniqueness of mental illness. It's an interactive book, by the way. People That's read, fun. People read through the book. They click on a link. They go to a special website and they give their opinion. That Those opinions are going to be then collected in what is go, going to be the collective wisdom of mental illness in which I am going to attempt to transform the hidden wisdom of mental illness as a gift to the world. And we are going to bring, bring a stigma into dignity, stigma into lessons, stigma into teaching. I am so excited about that. I am telling you about this because one of the chapters is on shame. Okay, exactly what you're asking me. One of the chapters is called shame all the chapters are divided are, 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 are the same in structure structurally i begin with testimonies then i go into a de dictionary definition of shame i go into a summary of the scientific discoveries on shame i go into 10 quotes by personalities on shame each quote with questions and answers for reflection wow i, I go into a spiritual section and quotes on shame and then I go into exercises on shame. Okay. Huh. And a person can take any chapter. There's a chapter on acceptance. There's a chapter on goals. There's a chapter on, on, on exhaustion. There's a chapter on wholeness. Uh, there's a chapter on diagnosis. If a person can take any chapter of the book and go through that learning in one chapter at a time. Wow. Um, then look, shame, the, the, the key about shame is not to believe that you are your shame. See, people who are mental, who have men, the problem with mental illness is that people believe that they are their illness. They it's become true. their illness. They shouldn't, right, right. I, never, I never say, I never say I am bipolar. I always say I have bipolar. I am not bipolar. I have bipolar. In the same way that I have I had diabetes. Okay, I have a heart disease. Then, then something that mental illness and shame share is that people who experience them, they internalize it to the point of not distinguishing their persona from their feeling. It is very important to 
create a dichotomy between feeling shame and being shamed. In fact, in some Jewish traditions, by the way, which are fond of, shame is seen as a learning opportunity. And I tell you why. Shame is not always false. Okay, if you tell somebody, hey, exercise, you're too fat. <laughs> I would not recommend that you do that. Uh, I think that I'm not going to do that. It's rude, it's rude, it's inappropriate. Okay, and I will show you the door. <laughs> However, the person who is told that, if the person feels shame, if the person feels shame, there is an opportunity also to say, okay, what part of what I am being told has a kernel of truth? And why that kernel of truth is making me feel this way? Then once you get to a point in which you feel shame without judgment, then you can begin a period of transformation. Wow. You may say, look, you know something, this this person is really rude. I don't want to know any, I don't want anything to do with this person. But you know, I am a little bit fat. And I feel a little bit shameful about it. What can I do to change? Mm. Then, then, then shame is one of the most brutal, brutal feelings. It's demolishing more than many other feelings, by the way. Shame on somebody who shames somebody else. <laughs> But given that we are not going to be able to prevent it all the time, then the question is, once we get it, how the shame can coach us to become better ourselves instead of internalizing it? That's, by the way, the message of my chapter. But you go through my chapter, the exercises at the end are most of the exercises are about identifying your shame because in the place of shame is your wound. You see, your shame will point out to your wound. Then there is a lot of information in your shame because the shame hurts you where you are already vulnerable. That's true. Then, then shame actually is an encyclopedia of self-knowledge. Once we are in control of it, and we don't let it bother us, but rather teach us. And, and that's what I do in that chapter and the, all the other chapters. I transform pain into wisdom to the best, to the best of what we can do to, with that. Wow, that is rich. That is really powerful. I had a shame and guilt expert on a couple of broadcasts ago. And it's really interesting. I <clears throat> I want to be careful what I say. Um, well, I'll just put it this way. I My brain can process what you just said much easier. I feel like what you just said is really, really empowering for people who struggle with guilt and shame. Like I, I and it, and honestly, taking ownership of it, not applying it, not soaking in it, not bathing in it, but being able to look at it as something that can be a blessing and something you can learn from is really, really powerful because there's a difference between that because that's you taking ownership or me taking ownership. When you just shoo it away or surrender it or let go of it, you're not really dealing with it and you're not using it for the opportunity that it can be. This is why, for instance, perceived weaknesses or things that are perceived to be bad usually end up being the greatest blessings in our life. And the things that we perceive to be the greatest things ever typically don't end up ending that way either. So that is really powerful. I love that because I want to always learn and grow. And my whole life is an example of the blessing is in the breaking. And everything that is meant to hurt me and destroy me and wipe me out has ended up being the very thing that has fueled my purpose and fueled what I get to do in the world. It, now, it's, there, it's is a saying, there is a saying, George, there is a saying by the rabbis. 
is a, is, is, is a saying that many Jewish people know that says whoever shames somebody in public is as if had committed murder. It's clearly, it's clearly, uh, it's clearly a teaching. It's not a legal statement, but it's it underlines the severity of shaming somebody in public, of doing gossip, gossiping, of you know, of, of you know, is seen as a very serious behavior of the most unwelcome kind. Okay, then that's the other sign of the coin is that we must learn from shame, but we must not, we must, we must, it, it, must, it must not become a learning, a learning method, to put it this way. If it comes, we learn, but mm -hmm. it, 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 it must be avoided. Shame targets the, the totality of the other person. It's not about an aspect of the other person. It's about the person as the person is. It's about the very existence of the person. Uh, and and um, more than other, more than other awful things to do. Um, and our society has to be very careful today because there is, there is a rhetoric and language of disqualifying each other uh, that is part of the rhetoric today uh, that is is destructive. One thing that Judaism has taught me, and I talk about the Talmud, is that clearly you have to defend your life if somebody's coming to kill you, but, but uh, we are a religion of dialogue and learning. Um, and, you know, in, in my own community, for example, just recently, the Jewish community brought a group of pastors to Israel. We invited them to take a trip to Israel as our guests. And we do that all the time because we want to dialogue. We want to, them to see what the Jewish people are doing in Israel. We had to want them to have a first, you know, first account of, 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 of the miracle of Israel, um, not perfect, not perfect, but the people who were massacred 70 years ago that create one of the most thriving societies and democrat and the, really the only democratic society in the area is not something to take to be taken for granted. And um, and 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 that's part that's part of who we are. We don't give up. We don't give up. We've seen it all in terms of destruction and evil. We do not give up the faith. And there is a teaching in Judaism that when Moses was standing by the waters of the Sea of Reeds, he began praying to God. And the rabbis say that God said to Moses, stop praying. Okay, put the staff on the water and begin walking. Okay, there are times to pray and times to act. Judaism is, has a tremendous tradition of praying, but we are very much a religion based on action. For us, at the end of the day, action counts, mm. which may be another, another difference from some of the traditions and the people who are listening to us, for whom faith is the most solid ground for us action. Clearly, not clearly wise wisdom-based action, but action for Judaism, a mitzvah to do something, is at the core of how this religion manifests itself. By the way, that's why I left the pulpit, Joshua, and became the bipolar rabbi. Based on my understanding of Judaism, that I was commanded to leave the fourth world of the synagogue and become an agent of action in the mental health community, transcending religions, transcending religions. And, um, and that's why the book I am putting out, by the way, has almost no Jewish references. 
because 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 I, I you know clearly I am the bipolar rabbi clearly I know the bipolar iman but the, <laughs> the, 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 you know the, 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 there are some a couple of Jewish quotes that are favorite of mine but in general what I'm trying to do is to create wisdom see because I have, I have to, I ask you something Josh Joshua who knows about resilience courage hope darkness? more than people who confront the mental illness. Oof. I don't know anybody. Now, are we the voice of that in society today? Are we, we the teachers? But we are not. We are not the teachers. We have not articulated our message to society. We live in loneliness. We live in stigma. We live in shame, as you said. And we need to get out of the cocoon and create a value proposition to American society. It is time for us, time for us to translate our experience into wisdom. We are the only ones to blame for that. We haven't done it, by the way. Okay, yeah. then, then, then this is on our table and that's basically what my mission. And that's why the book and my website and my lectures are, are an invitation to, to those with mental illness to please, 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 please stop lamenting, begin reflecting, begin writing a diary of wisdom about mm. what you learned. You were in the psychiatric ward for a week, then you must write a couple of sentences about what freedom means to you. Mm. Who can talk about losing freedom more than you who were for a week denied of your freedom you were not able to have a cell phone for a week. You were able to choose your food for a week. You saw, you thought that you were, you were losing your mind. Now it is your responsibility to write a couple of ideas of what freedom means for the average American. If we don't do that, we have nobody to blame. You're right. Wow. Rabbi, will you please plug your website and let everybody else, I mean, let everyone know your website, where they can support you, where they can buy your books, all of that. Just... I make it. I, I make it very easy. You can get to my website with bipolar rabbi, and this is two R's: bipolar rabbi without any separation. Rabbi with two B's, BBI. Then bipolarrabbi.com. Once you get to my website, there is a place where you can sign up. I write a weekly blog that you will get. I run seminars. And my book, when it's out in about six months, is going to be offered to you for a nominal, very nominal fee. Okay, a few dollars, uh, which I must do for strategic reasons, my marketing, whatever. Okay, <laughs> I will do it for free. I agree with you, but I had to charge a couple of dollars. And that book is interactive. You're going to have the chance that to, so cool. to participate and make a mark and share your wisdom. If you have a mental illness, if you are a caregiver, if you want, if you are curious, if you want to know about shame, acceptance, and spirituality, anywhere you come from, you're going to be able to contribute. Uh, bipolarrabbi.com. Um, you know, I just finished my blog today. My blog today is about what do you do at moments when the crisis is over? Then the crisis is over and you have an hour where you are, you are yourself. What is the best time to use your time? But I will not give you the solution because the, 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 the blog is going to be out Post it next week, and if you sign up, you get it. I'm going to sign up. I want to read that. Well, Rabbi, uh, God bless you, man. Thank you for being here. Thank you for answering all my crazy questions, and um, I and I'm I really am honored by you being here, and I am grateful for what you do. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, George, for this opportunity. To the Light Mana Network people, uh, keep the faith. Uh, I hope that I brought a little bit of my tradition 
to you, but I also that I really, really engage you in a dialogue with me and with the mental health community. God bless you, Rabbi. See you soon. God bless you. Bye-bye. I love what I get to do. I love, I would have never known any of that. You know what I would have done? I would have had the, um, not stereotypes. I would have had the information that I assumed was correct in my brain this entire time. And so I am grateful that I got to ask all those questions. I probably have 8,000 more, but for the sake of time, I do want to have him back. I do want to read his book. Um, and look, I mean, you guys know my faith. My faith didn't change, but I'm grateful for this conversation because even though the beliefs are different, there's some very practical things there that I think make my faith stronger and also my way of being and way of doing things and way of just living in general. Um, I learned a lot there of ways that I can be better. And that's why I love getting to do these broadcasts. And my next broadcast that's here coming up in just a little bit is going to be wildly different from this one. And the one, the two yesterday, wildly different. I thank God I get to do this because I learn something each and every time. So grateful for the rabbi. Check him out, bipolarrabbi.com. Uh, thank you guys for your support. Again, you can go to that barcode there at the bottom left corner, right corner. I don't know. I'm confused this way, <laughs> this one. You can scan that and you can buy our book. Uh, you can check out our movie uh, that's free. It's my testimony, The Devil Inside Me. And um, just grateful that you're here. Thank you, Rabbi. God bless you, sir. And uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank you.